Do you like beer? Do you want to learn how to make your own beer? It's time for Just Brew It, brought to you by Niagara Tradition Home Brew. Here's your host, Jeremy White and Bert Deister. Good Saturday morning. Welcome to Niagara Tradition's Just Brew It here on ESPN 1520. Jeremy White with Bert Deister. Good morning. Good morning. Weather finally turned. Yeah. It was beautiful, like a bunch of straight days. Yeah, so we got a little bit of hopefully like cooling weather here and then we'll have another nice weekend. So yeah, hopefully I think we everybody will be happy. Hopefully the weekend uh stays nice, turns out nice. You know, there's supposed to be uh whatever, a little bit a little bit of rain yesterday, but whatever. It's been beautiful out lately. Summer draft supplies. Finally you're able to have picnics and you're able to bring mm-hmm. those kegs out and have all the summer got draft it. supplies. And you guys are still stocked up and good to go. Yeah, we got everything. And we will throughout the year. So as, as you get into football season, hockey season, and you're looking for that party tap, we'll still have it. We're not just carrying this stuff for the summer. So if you want to put together a whole you know, kegerator, keyser, like we were talking about, home bar, if you want to make a little beer shed in the backyard, um, or if you want to make a jockey box, which we'll get to a little bit later, um, we have the stuff in stock. And so you can just come in when we're open and pick it up. Um, but yeah, no, you know, tap systems run anywhere from $30 up to about 250 so we got you covered on everything. And cryo hops coming in soon. Yes. So this, we're this, waiting. What does this mean? What what exactly is going to happen with these? I think it's going to be a game changer. Really? Not only um, for home brewers, but also for commercial brewers. Um, as far as like what customers can expect is you're going to expect more of the fresh fruit, you know, citrusy flavors and aroma without the intense kind of bitterness that you get with it. If you start throwing in a lot of hops to get these fruity flavors, inevitably you also get some bitterness with it. But with the cryo hops, because what it is is the lubeland, and that's what gives you, again, the fruity flavors in the hops, uh, extract. And so it's a little question on, you know, kind of the potency You've heard, you know, two to one to four to one on them, um, but you're going to use them like you would for whirlpooling, finishing, but especially dry hopping. Um, and it should almost instantly give you some really intense flavors, again, without the bitterness. So for home brewers, this is going to mean you can really, you know, put a wallop on some of your IPAs and pale ales, really make some almost pseudo fruit beers. Um, but for both home brewers and commercial brewers, uh, depending on what the you know price is on the cryo hops going forward, um, it could be a big money saver. Um, per barrel, some big IPAs usually have about, we'll say on a moderate end, uh, a pound of hops mm-hmm. per barrel. Um, and you could go up to three or more um, for some of these bigger, especially the New England style IPAs. This should really cut that down. And so when you're using less and you're using an extract, so not only are you getting more out of it, but you're also getting more efficiency of your extraction, you should be able to save a couple bucks on here. So if you're using one ounce of cryo hops, even at $4 compared to using six ounces, you know, of like Simcoe, which is going to cost you about 15 bucks, that's going to save you a bit of dough on your five gallon batch. But for a commercial brewer, you know, that could be saving them $100, you know, around per mm-hmm. barrel or two, depending on the beer. What what happened? I wouldn't expect your craft beer prices, your, you know, no. your heady toppers or your trilliums to start dropping in price or something like that. Or, you know, pack it to all of a sudden be half the price. Um, but it will make a difference for the brewers. And maybe I was put a little ask, bit extra money in their pocket. That's okay. That You answered my question. I was going to say, what brought this about? Why, why did this need to happen? What was the genesis of cryo hops? Well, it was a 
combination of demand and economics. So as the kind of beer trends go more towards these, you know, heavily aroma and flavored IPAs, um, there was the need for something like this. But again, because you're putting so many hops into these beers, uh, really makes economic sense, not only for the brewer, but also for YCH, um, because they want to have sustainability in a market further down the road. All right. Well, and it's cool that it's coming to home brewers too. Yeah, and, right. and really, to be quite honest, if you are a home brewer, you're going to really have first shot on this. So if you want to really get on this early, we're hoping to get them in the next two weeks. Um, so it could be this week coming. It could be the week after. We don't exactly know. We're going to be putting in a little extra orders because they're just going to be throwing them on to our regular order. We've already got them ordered. We got about 50 ounces coming in the first week of each of the available varieties so we'll have plenty for you to play with i mean some of the varieties are like citra simcoe um columbus uh and a couple others Mm -hmm. and so we still have the hop hash that's been popular as well um but the cryo hops i think are going to be a little more a little more sought after okay and so if you're a home brewer you want to play around with these it's going to be a while it's probably going to be well till into the fall or winter until you see commercial breweries start putting out you know beers on a regular basis with the cryo hops so if you want to try some you're going to have to brew yourself. You mentioned you wanted to mention that you, you wanted to get to jockey boxes a little mm-hmm. later in, in terms of building them. Yeah, what one? What is them? So if, if you're thinking like jockey box and you have no idea, you're thinking a very small man in a striped suit, possibly in a <laughs> small container, um, and that's not quite what it is. Although you get a lot of you know bang for your buck with a jockey box. What it is is a uh, kind of a thermal exchanger inside a cooler that you pump your beer through. Uh, in order to chill your beer on the way to the tap. So we were talking about beer sheds or outdoor kegerators earlier in the summer. Say if you didn't want to go through all that and you just wanted to be able to have, you know, beer for single-use events outside. Um, You were willing to bring the keg back in at the end of the night or put it in the garage on ice overnight and just finish it over the weekend. Um, A jockey box might be for you. So you don't have to keep the beer cold, only cool, because you're chilling it on way. Um, you can build these yourselves. We sell them pre-assembled for about $200. Um, I was looking at what it would cost to assemble one, about $150 to $175. Um, you're going to get a little bit better than the pre-assembled ones we have. Uh, only thing you're going to have to buy on the side is the cooler. So, again, for the same price as a pre-made assembly that, again, we stock, um, you could make one for about the same price and have a little bit better one. So... There's two options when you come to Jockey Box. There's coils, so stainless steel coils, and aluminum chill plates. Aluminum chill plates are a high-density aluminum plate, and they have a 3 uh, stainless steel line that goes back and forth. Um, just like the coil, you soak both of them in a cooler of ice water, and then as you put the beer through, it chills it down to just above 32 degrees. Um, the plates tend to work a little bit better. They provide a little bit more um, back pressure um, so you can get a little bit more flow and you can keep the beer kind of if you're keeping it at room temperature or cool, you can keep it at the right pressure so you can try to serve it over a couple of days and you won't lose carbonation or overcarbonate. The coils kind of have some problems with the back pressure. They're very low so you got to turn the pressure way down. As you sit there you slowly lose carbonation out of the beer. Um, Both work really well. Both are a 
big saver on your back if you're, you know, using a big, like, tub and constantly filling it with ice. Um, and they come really handy. I use mine for a lot of family barbecues uh, when I'm having people over. I loan it out to charity events all the time. And I also use it for, uh, you know, tailgating. Uh, obviously not at the stadium anymore. Not allowed anymore. I had nothing to do with that. Hmm. Uh, and I use it for, like, hunting camp and stuff like that. Yeah. And it's great because I can just put a blanket over the kegs, put them in a shady spot. I keep them cool, again, not cold. And I throw one bag of, you know, gas station ice in there, and it will last me three days. Yeah. So it's really um, a big kind of time saver, uh, especially if you're doing, like, fishing, camping trips and stuff like that. It really saves you a lot of time. You're going to have one bag of ice to keep all your beer cold for serving the entire weekend. One thing I wanted to ask you about before we get into the meat of our topic today, how do you know if some – I heard this question asked. How do you know if something is a craft beer, it's a, is a craft brewery? Uh, is there any sort of way that craft breweries want to differentiate themselves or mm-hmm. they can to let you know, like – you know, locally owned and operated or whatever it might be. Like, yeah. And so we've been seeing a lot of commercials on TV, which I was uh, really surprised to see. I'm seeing a lot more online because my social media feeds are kind of filled with beer stuff um, about the Brewers Association Craft Brewers Seal. And so the Brewers Association is a trade association. Uh, and what they're trying to convince their members to do, their members don't have to do this, they're not obligated, um, is, but they're trying to convince their members to put a little upside down bottle kind of stamp on all their packaging to indicate that they're a member of the trade association. So um, it's not a guarantee that if it doesn't have that stamp, that that beer's owned by, you know, Miller Coors or InBev. Um, so you might see a beer that doesn't have that, and you are thinking, I know that's my, like, local brewery. Yes, it still is your local brewery. It's still craft beer. Um, but it's not putting the label on. So it could still be a Brewers Association member, but they're just not putting the kind of, like, I want to say union bug, but they're not a union, onto their packaging. Um, the best way to know is look it up. Um, you can go to their website, you can go to uh, Beer Advocate really quick and get the background information on the beer, and you'll know kind of who's owning it. And I guess that's a whole other question. If your favorite local brewery, and we've seen this with, out. Yeah, with Legamas, with a couple others, if they get bought out. Do you care? Yeah. Do you have to That care? was a big payday for them. Yeah. It could also mean kind of uh, you know better benefits and kind of um, more guaranteed pay over the long run for their employees. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can buy them bigger buying power as well as wider available you know, ingredients because now they're going to be able to get from a bunch of different suppliers as well as get their base grains and hops in larger amounts. Um, so it's kind of a tough sell. Yeah. It, it, and I guess that's a whole other kind of moral question that we can get into another show is if a brewery is bought out by InBev but they're keeping the same staff and the same recipes – should you protest? Right. What difference does it make? Yeah. I'm not one to, to really be all that upset about that. Yeah. And, and I guess- and I understand so, why pe- how people could and would. Yeah. And one of the things was like we were talking about the cryo hops, putting more you know money into the you know brewer's pocket. Craft brewers are not making it big. you know. And, and even if you look at some of the you know biggest craft brewers who still hold on to their label, uh, these are not you know multimillionaires on the biggest breweries. Um, maybe a couple millionaires out there, but- Again, I guarantee you absolutely none of your local breweries are making, you know, 
there's no one person making millions of dollars or maybe even in the, you know, six digit uh, income range. So, you know, this is a blue collar, hard working uh, business. And so when you see a brewery get bought out, but you see the same staff and the same kind of brewers there, um, and you know that they might be making a little bit more money, you kind of got to wonder, if, am, am I being greedy here that I only want the local craft beer that was really sweat and bled over? Um, or am I just looking for a good beer made by local people that, you know, I may know? Yeah. And so it's kind of a tough moral question there. Yeah. There's your million-dollar idea for an app. Your app could be called, Is This a Craft Beer? And mm-hmm. you, you just, like, scan it, and it would say yes or no. Yeah. And give you the info on who owns it. There's your there's your million-dollar idea for an app. Uh, one more thing before we get to what we're going to get to on the other side of the break, which is uh, making beer with berries. Raspberries are in season. I know you wanted to say a lot about that. How about the fact that water out of the taps, this is something that – on the extreme ends of the season, we talk about in the winter, the water is colder mm-hmm. and in the summer, the water is hotter because the water oh, yeah. lines are of, of a different temperature. You got it. And so I've been brewing, obviously, because I wasn't ahead of schedule and most brewers aren't. I've been brewing a lot of lagers and Kolsch and stuff that really likes cooler fermentation temperature. So when you're chilling down the ward after you've been boiling it for an hour, you got a little bit of extra work to do because the tap water is, I think, now around... Uh, it's above 70, and I want to say it's getting close to 75 degrees. Um, if you're trying to chill a beer to 65 degrees, you're just not going to get there. Um, and really, when you get within 10, 20 degrees of the the tap water, you're really going to slow down your chill rate. And so you're going to have to do something about that. And the best thing to do is buy a second wort chiller or use your mash tun to kind of pre-chill your water. Um, and so I do have a second wort chiller. I'll use them both in line um, until I get down to about 150 degrees. And then I will take a bucket, put a bag of happy ice, and then take the first wart chiller and sink it into the bag of happy ice. And that kind of pre-chills my water. You turn the flow rate down, really pay attention because you're going to get those next 40 degrees, 50 degrees really fast. Um, So if you're, you know, obviously in the winter from western New York, we have some advantages. Even brewing all grain, I have just turned the kettle off left the pot in my driveway, walked inside, come back without hooking anything, without sanitizing anything, without wasting any water, and my beer's, you know, close to ready to pitch. Um, Summer's not that easy here. Um, Our basements are still a nice cool temperature for fermentation, and so a lot of times if I don't want to make the run, I don't have an ice maker, if I don't want to make the run to the gas station because I never have ice saved up, um, I'll just get it down to that 75 degrees, put it on the basement floor, put it in the fermentation chamber, and let it cool down a little bit more and pitch the yeast the next morning. Um, yes, I could be risking um, infection. Yeah, but I'd rather have an infected beer months down the road than a phenolic or under-attenuated or all of the above beer on day one. And so if you're brewing, if you're having troubles, uh, if you're just staring at your thermometer, running gallons and gallons of tap water right back down the sink, one, put that out into your yard. You know, it will appreciate it. Uh, and two... Get a second wart chiller, use your bottling bucket, use your uh, mash tun, kind of as a pre-chiller to pre-chill the water going in, and you'll save yourself a lot of time and a lot of tap water. All right. Back on the other side, we'll get to making beer with raspberries. As they come into season, maybe you want to make a beer with raspberries or blueberries or all the berries. Uh, We'll get to them. Crunch berries. You should make a crunch berry beer. Never even heard of crunch berries. It's Captain Crunch. Is there a real berry? 
I mean, it's like a sugar cereal berry. It's not a real. I mean, I'll use Captain Straight Captain Crunch. I'm not opposed to I'd, that. I'd like to have a Captain Crunch berry lager or something. So I think we should contact Rusty Nickel on this. Okay. I, I seem to remember a bad memory of uh, Dave like dumping lots of Cheerios into a mashed yeah, tun or something. Yeah, that sounds right. That right, sounds yeah. right. All right. On to raspberries next here on Niagara Traditions. Just brew it on ESPN 1520. Back here on Nog Traditions, just brew it on ESPN 1520. We'll uh, continue thinking about the Crunchberry beer at some point. But uh, brewing with raspberries, making beer with raspberries. It is raspberry season, and I just saw one of the local I'm thinking brewers. Fruit Loops. Sorry to Fruit just – I'm, okay. I'm still on this now. I'm thinking beers? Fruit Loops, and what else would be good? You could do like a, you know, Cocoa Puffs Porter. What about a Frosted Flake Cream Ale? Can I like ma- that. Can you make the cream like Frosted Flaky kind of? Yeah, you Oats. could do that. Oats. I don't know. I don't know. You're, uh, I've really taken your mind. I need to talk to Dave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, there might be one of these coming out. We got another, you know, we had short work week here, another weekend. Uh, so I've gone through a lot of beer. So there's a lot of fermenters that have opened up. And I I saw there's one of the breweries, as we're going to talk about raspberries. Yeah, yeah. One of the breweries, I forget which one, is they, they just released a raspberry beer. Maybe a raspberry sour. I'm not sure. So it's definitely in season because this is the time of year where, you know, mm-hmm. that's going to happen. So if you want to talk about good sour beers, too, I was down at the New York Beer Project and they had a Goza. Um, and it was uh, um, it was absolutely wonderful. So if you're out in Lockport and you get a chance to stop down there and try that, um, it was a true soured beer. They didn't just pump it full of lactic acid. They use lactobacillus. Um, it does have uh, some fruit in it. Um but the fruit is kind of subtle, kind of just blends nicely into the nose. There's not a lot of farmy flavors, and it's just kind of the perfect tart. Low alcohol. And so if you're in the area, go ahead and stop that. I had this this past weekend. Uh, it was very good. Uh, so if you're looking for a really good sour beer, go ahead and try that one. Okay. I don't think they have it out and about. You're going to have to go down there and get it. Okay. So on to raspberries. It is raspberry, raspberry season. And you could do a sour with them. You could, could do, do a goza. Um, you could do a... Uh, Pale ale, you could do a... Wheat beer, obviously. Wheat beer is a good one. Kolsch, wit, um, all good choices. Mm -hmm. Um, So let's talk about first, now that you're getting all these raspberries. So over the next couple weeks here, we're going to get tons of raspberries. Sadly, they're not all going to come at once. So I would suggest folks to do what I'm doing. is I got a Tupperware in the freezer, and every day before the birds get to them, when I go out to have my coffee, I go out there and I steal all the fresh raspberries first. And I put them into the freezer, and I'm just letting them sit there until I fill up this eight-quart container. Hopefully, I'll fill it up. Um, this makes it a little bit easier. You can always obviously go out and buy fruit, but the freezing will actually help the fruit break down a little bit. It's going to crack the cell walls in the fruit, and so you're going to get at more of the goodness, um, and it kind of takes the pressure off. You can kind of collect them over the next three weeks here. Um, once you have all your raspberries, you're going to need to prep them a little bit, and you're going to have to sanitize them, and there's kind of two methods to this. The first method um, is going to be cover them with water, let them defrost, crush them, and then take the volume and mix in sodium or potassium metabisulfite or Camden tablets. It's like a pre-measured form. Um, when you do that, it's going to pull all the oxygen out. So it's going to prevent them from changing color or any of the tannins oxidize. So getting any, again, like cardboardy or really with fruit, you get more kind of dead leaves or like lawn trimmings kind of smells off them. Um, 
and then you're going to let them sit for 24 to 48 hours and you can put them right into the beer, primary, secondary, keg, wherever you want to. Um, if you don't want to use the sulfites, it's still quite easy. Just put them into a stainless steel pot or crock, pour boiling water over top of them. Um, the boiling water, just like your mash, should cool down. You should still stay below 180 degrees. If you go above 180 degrees, you're going to get kind of some coagulation. You're also going to get some like kind of marmalade-like flavors from what you're doing to the pectin proteins. Um, but if you can keep it cool, you can crush them up. That should pasteurize them just fine. Um, adding them to the beer. I really prefer the primary fermentation. I know a lot of people say you get more aroma and you get a little bit more flavor out of the secondary. I usually get more color and I get more reliable fermentation if I put it into the primary. The other big thing about putting it into the primary is I can use a straining bag, which makes a big difference. So what I usually like to do is put a straining bag over the bucket or over the pot, pour all my mush now into it, tie it off, and just throw it into the bucket. Now I can let it sit there steep if I want to come back on day three and kind of poke it around to make sure it's getting some nice flow through there. I can do that, but it makes the whole process a lot easier. Also, right before I rack the beer out of the primary fermentation, I can put on some nitrite gloves, sanitize those with star sand, and really wring the daylights out of the raspberries. And again, we keep saying raspberries, but this works for blueberries, blackberries, gooseberries, crunchberries, <laughs> you know, whatever you might have sitting around the freezer or the backyard. Um, as far as how much to use, um, I'm always, as far as when you're talking about the fresh fruit, the more, the better. If you ended up just going way overboard and you had like half of your gravity contribution coming from these berries, you would end up with something like Lindemans, which would not be a bad thing, you know what I mean? It would be candy-like, it would have, you know, intense fruit flavors, but again, that's not necessarily going to be a bad thing, but it really comes down to how much you can get your hands on. Um, I did a Lindemans clone, I only did three gallons, and I want to say I used two pounds of fresh raspberries, as well as four pounds of pre-made puree. Um, and that wasn't over the top. So you can use quite a bit. Okay. The raspberries are going to begin, even if you don't add lactic acid, even if you don't you know, put in any lactobacillus or acid malt. Um, and if you just want to add a touch of tart without perfecting you know, the lactobacillus fermentation, which apparently New York Beer Project has done, you know, that's an easy cheat and it will give you a nice touch of sour. Um, but the raspberries are going to give you a little bit of tart on their own. And so... Do you find them to be a general, generally agreeable addition to a beer? Yes, because they have a bitter to them. Um, fruits, I think the hardest fruits to use in beer are ones that don't have kind of any backbone. They don't have any tart or bitter flavors because, say, like watermelon or something like that, strawberries, you have almost no tannins, almost no acids, Coconut just sugar like this, and like water. It's, it's just... Coconut's a little bit better. Okay. Um, because it just tastes like sweetness, and there's nothing to just balance it out. You got it. Gotcha. And so having a tart fruit like raspberries makes it a little bit easier. You'll see a bit more for your picking effort, you know what I mean, in flavor. And then last of all, I don't ever consider it cheating to take an extract and kind of boost those flavors at the end of fermentation. And maybe that's why I'm so impartial to putting it into the secondary. Is is I don't want the mess. I know I can always boost the flavor later with an extract. Don't consider it cheating. Um, always just add it to taste. 
So do it in the bottling bucket, do it in the keg, add a little, try it, add a little, try it. Never use a recommendation on the bottle. If you're going to start anywhere, start with about a quarter of that recommendation. Um, hold off just short of where you think it needs to be because, again, those flavors, those sweeter flavors are going to kind of come out over time. So as the beer kind of mellows, that fruit flavor will come through a little bit more. Okay. Very good. So that's using second for fruit and secondary. Using cereal. Cereal goes into the mash or the steep if you're an extract brewer. And if you're an extract brewer, you're definitely going to want to use, um, or if you're an all-grain brewer, you're going to want to use a lot of rice hulls. Again, even if you're an extract brewer, even if you're just steeping. And you're also going to want to use a little bit of base malt in there. Um, you're going to need something to help convert that cereal. Uh, we also sell amylase enzyme. <laughs> if you go to try this and it looks like a starchy mess in the primary, you can always throw amylase enzyme directly into the primary. Um, it may break down some of your dextrins and some of your other complex sugars that you created during the boil. Um, you can always boost that back up with maltodextrin later um, or lactose. So if you're making a cereal beer, yeah, maybe right. the lactose will fit in well for kind of a back sweetener. Um, but if you're getting like a milky, cloudy beer and that's not what you're looking for, you can always add amylase enzyme directly to the primary fermentation. Okay. Uh, try to catch it while the beer is still fermenting because that way when it breaks down those sugars, the yeast still has a chance to get at it and you don't cause, if you add it late in the primary, you can kind of cause a, you know, a renewed fermentation. But if you're looking to make, you know, you know crunchberry lager, um, that's how you would do it. I feel like I've created a monster. That's how I'm going to do it. I already know next week's show. You're going to come in here with five different cereal beer recipes, aren't you? Yeah, it might be a good a project for my like little three liter, four liter brewing system. Is yeah. to, you know, plus then I would get all the cereal to kind of yeah, you know, sit around that. too. Yeah. I'm trying to think what else we could do. Cocoa Puffs, Reese's. You could do like yeah. a, a Reese's Puffs Porter kind of deal. Yep. There's a lot of potential. I think there's going to be a lot of stuck mash tons this next yeah. week. You got to find out. Mine. You got to find out the rest of that story about the Cheerios. I remember it worked out it. well. It was a good beer. Yeah. I had it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, once you really had it, uh, it while well, it had that like kind of aroma mm -hmm. of downtown Buffalo, the good aroma of downtown Buffalo. Right, right. Um, you know, not when the wind's always blowing. You know, east. Um, but uh, it had a good aroma, uh, and it really, when you tasted it, it, tasted like an oat beer. You know, similar to like oat pale ales and had stuff. Not like super cloudy. Not, you know, it wasn't starchy. Uh, in the glass and tastes like you were like drinking horchata or anything like that it was quite good all right well that's it for us good raspberries and um jockey boxes and dreams of cocoa puff pills cocoa puff yeah cocoa puffs uh open today and open regular hours and no sadly no more long weekends yeah, no in holidays the in the near two, future yeah. all right. so canada's got a couple we're losing out um if you want to brew a crispy you know treats curls go brew yourself You've been listening to Just Brew It, brought to you by Niagara Tradition Home Brew. Whether you're a seasoned brewer or just want to get started, visit them at 1296 Sheridan Drive in Tonawanda or online at nthomebrew.com. And be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Just Brew It.